Welcome back to Think Aloud with Dr. G. And thank you for joining me for this Think Aloud conversation. Oh my goodness, you are in for a treat. Today's Think Aloud is with someone I describe as sunshine in human form. Lynn Mahaffey is a special educator I am honored to know as a professional and as a friend. She works in the Columbia Public Schools in Columbia, Missouri, and teaches in a RISE classroom. RISE stands for Reaching Independence Through Structured Education. Today, we talk through her education journey, which includes some twists and turns you might not have seen coming. We also talk about how special education has changed in the course of her career. Our conversation travels through essential concepts for effective teaching and the importance of having a balance and focusing our efforts on what works for that individual student. Lynn does a great job of thinking aloud about the intense level of knowledge and skill that makes good teaching look effortless. Hi, and welcome back. I am here with Lynn Mahaffey, and I am so excited to have this conversation with you, Lynn, because we've known each other for, I don't well, know. 19, this is, will be my 19th year here, so 19, 19 years. years. So we both started teaching when we were four. Yes. And excellent. Um, but gosh, we, 19 years. Okay, so that explains why my love for you is so deep and true, because it's just a long-term thing. But I wanted to have this conversation with you from the moment I decided to have a podcast, because I want to try to capture some of who you are in a podcast form to share with the world, because you are the kind of teacher that I think we should all strive to be. You're kind and you're generous and you're positive and you bring sunshine and joy to school in places that can sometimes be really challenging. So thank you. Thank you. For coming and visiting with me today. Um, But let's just start with tell me your education journey. Tell me how you became a teacher, what got you interested in it, and where you've been. Okay. Well, I think I always wanted to be a teacher, so I don't remember ever making that like conscious decision but um, I went into elementary ed initially and um, I didn't like love it Um, so when I got out I substitute taught and ended up substituting at a in a special ed school at the time they were in the district but it was a segregated school we weren't part of that and I loved it Loved it. So you actually got a teaching degree in education, like all yes. the way through the program. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I graduated, and um, I thought maybe I could sell real estate or something like that. But oh. <laughs> it wasn't really my thing. But um, I loved I loved special ed. Okay. Um, and then they, the next year they needed an adaptive PE teacher, which, you know, I love Outside, So I became an adaptive PE teacher while I went back and got my special ed certification. Then I went on and got my master's in special education. So for those who are unfamiliar, what is adaptive PE? Adaptive PE is a PE class that is for kids with um, significant disabilities, both cognitive and or physical. So I would work with both. and it's a separate class unless, like at the time, I would take some kids into general ed PE and just kind of modify what they were doing. Okay, wow. 
Yeah. So we really do have, I think people who maybe are outside of education don't realize we have adaptations and modifications pretty much across all across. contents and all levels. So we're trying to give as kind of typical an experience as possible so all students can participate. Yes, awesome. absolutely. Very cool. Absolutely. Right. Um, after I left Adaptive PE, I uh I got married and I traveled in a fifth wheel for several years with my husband and we ended up in Colorado and I worked with people who had survived a traumatic brain injury and those were adults reintegrating into society. Um, And then I came back to Flagstaff and I did uh, severe and profound, it was called at the time, so kids with severe and profound disabilities. Then I went up to Oregon and I did a community skills class. Um, K through six. Then I came back to Flagstaff and I did, uh, let's see, I did K through three one year and four through six the next year. And then I moved to Missouri and I did junior high at the time at (laughs) Oakland Middle School, eight and nine, and now we're six through eight. So you have worked with K through 12, 12 in adaptive PE, yeah. plus adults. So mm-hmm. I think also we kind of forget that people with disabilities who need supports and services, that need doesn't stop when they stop no, going to high school. not at all. So yeah. I think that's really important for us to consider too. So you have been in several different states. You have been in several, several different um, what we might call placements or settings what drew yes. you here and what do you love? I mean, you've done this for 19 years. Yeah. yeah so what do I you have. love about this space and these kiddos? Well, what drew me to Missouri is my husband. Um, his As mom was here, so we came does, yeah. to the Midwest. I had never been here before. Um, and I actually love Oakland and I love um, kind of the now rise classroom. And so it was community skills. It was community skills. And now it's called RISE, which Mm -hmm. I can... Reaching Independence Through Structured Education. Okay. So it's a fancy acronym for kind of functional, academics, independent, living... Living, yes, yes, yes. And so that focus really is trying to get our kids more independent and really focusing on that you know, we're focusing on high school, but also beyond. Like, what skills do you need when you move on into wherever you're going after high school? And so for our students who might have a pretty significant cognitive impairment, they're going to need that many years of practice and support and training in order to be ready by the time they get to that age. Absolutely. So we're working on things like, you know, cooking skills, laundry, money skills, but also those social skills of, you know, how do I ask for what I need? How do I advocate for myself? You know, how do I ask a friend to play? How do I not have a temper tantrum when I don't get my way? I feel like those are life lessons for all of us. Every single person. (laughs) So I think about um, how education has changed in the time that I've been in education and you as Mm -hmm. well. And even just this building, we're we're sitting in Oakland Middle School right now, and it's bringing back so many happy memories because we worked here together for years. But I knew it's changed and evolved. So how has kind of school around the special ed kids evolved? while you've been in teaching? Because you mentioned when you started, they, the students were in a separate school. They were in a separate yeah. space completely. They yeah. were not interacting at all. Yeah. 
with what you would consider typical peers. Yes, exactly. Well, then um, about that time, I think that I think it was Tash in the East Coast. They mm-hmm. had a huge push for complete and total integration, full inclusion. Yes. Yep. And so we we took that was a huge push across the country. Mm-hmm. So we our director of special ed at the time was like everybody's going. And to be honest with you, I got in trouble because I had questioned like why are we starting with our most severe and profound kids when we're not integrating our kids with behavior disorders? We, they were still segregated from the regular population. And I said, you know, basically in my mind, those kids with severe behavior disorders are going to be the kids living next door unsupervised to us as adults when our other kids are really going to have some kind of supervision. So there was a whole discussion about that. But we started that integration process. And I think we've kind of, in education, we do a spectrum. We always move through it, and then we come back. So Mm -hmm. we move through and come back. So now I think we're at kind of a happy medium where kids are with me uh, a period most of the day, but we still go out to regular classes. We go out for lunches. We go out to the library. We go to all the assemblies. They go to the dances. So I think we're at a happy medium because it has to be a balance. There has to be a balance. Well, I think that's so true. And what I get frustrated with and I get in trouble for is we try to make these blanket statements about what special education would be and should be. And by definition, it is individualized Mm -hmm. education programming. So what will work for some students won't work for others. And I think it's very telling that the initial push for full inclusion, if we think about it historically and culturally, we were pushing for inclusion and integration across a lot of different minority groups and subcategories in our country. I mean, we're not perfect at that yet either. Um, But thinking about kind of it almost went too far down that spectrum to the end of everybody needs everybody yeah. together. Yeah. Um, and so we realized that that's not necessarily good for or appropriate for our students. That's true. And so I'm going to put in the show notes some information about TASH and some okay. of that historical perspective for those who want to learn a little bit more. But also, I really, it, it hits my heart when you talk about the kids who have behavior disorders or maybe some other types of learning impairments mm-hmm. or other types of educational category qualification where they need services, but maybe they're not as fun to have, or they're a little bit harder to integrate into the regular classroom. Yes. But those are the kids who are going to live independently. Yes. And they're going to be the person next door, and they're going to be in your grocery store. Mm -hmm. Driving on the road next to you, you know? (laughs) I mean, those are the kids that we really need, I thought at the time, and I still do, they need that social piece desperately. Right, that social learning piece of how to, all of the things you mentioned earlier, like how to not throw a temper tantrum when you don't get your way, or how to not get into an argument over a perceived insult, or how to recognize your emotions might be a little bit bigger than the situation. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, and yeah. so that's so powerful because those are kind of, again, global statements. We have to be careful. Yeah. But there are students who need that very direct instruction on how to do those things. Exactly. exactly. At the same time, they need that academic stimulation of the general education classroom, yes. too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here at Oakland, I know it's a super 
amazing community, which is why I loved working here for so many years. But I remember your first year here. And when we think about inclusion and acceptance and integration into the school, so your students with severe cognitive impairments, severe maybe some physical limitations, Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily in a regular ed biology class. True. But they're integrated into the school community. Yes. That was not the case when you arrived. No, it was not. We... (laughs) Apparently, whoever was before me liked to sit in the room with the doors closed. I'm not really sure what happened. Yeah. Um, And luckily, even though, you know, Dr. Presco was the principal here, Mm -hmm. and she gave me a ton of leeway. Like, I said, um, I want to take my kids out to work in the community, but we're going to have to walk and take the city bus back. And she said, great, go. And so that's how we started at the food bank. I mean, we walked even in February down to the food pantry and we took the city bus back. That's a mile and a half or two miles away. <laughs> and we did. And, you know, and we, and we just got out more and more into the school building. And I think that was the year that we performed at the end of the year assembly. You yes. know, I got my kids up and just said, you know, we're, we're a part of this environment too Mm -hmm. and so we're going to make sure that we're seen and heard in a positive light and I think that really helped kind of catapult the change in the community in this building it had an impact on everyone right so there were fewer marginalized groups right yeah you were really an advocate for your students but also an advocate for inclusion within the community and I think that's really powerful and Oakland has a great community I mean and the teachers and staff have always been super accepting. Anytime I've said, like, I need this or I need this kid to have this experience, people have stepped up and been like, I can do that. And I love that you allowed me, part of my role here was as a speech-language pathologist, and you allowed me to push in to do services in your classroom. I remember before you came, I (laughs) had to do pull-out services. So I would take these students and try to take them to a separate room and work on articulation skills or language games that were completely out of context and meant nothing to these students who thankfully were kind and fun and enjoyed spending (laughs) time with me. But I don't think I did them much service. Whereas when I was able to push into your classroom, I was able to embed language and into the social routines, right? And even articulation. So when you have to ask for something, how does that feel in your mouth? How does that look? You know, do you swallow first so you don't spit on the person? Yeah. Or, you know, you were doing cooking. Like you guys did these family breakfasts once a week where the students would help set the table and make the food and follow the directions and measure the things. All of these academic-based skills, but life skills. Yes. And you allowed others to come in and provide services during that time. Do you remember how many people would be in your classroom on those Friday mornings? (laughs) There's quite a few. Yeah, especially when we make bacon. That goes crazy. Right, so we have the actual service providers like the speech path and the OT. OT. Our occupational Mm -hmm. therapist would come in. I sometimes saw our adaptive PE person swing through which I thought was fantastic. But yes, then we would draw others. (laughs) (laughs) Please come in. Yeah. That that kind of inclusion part of services is really, I think, so important. And lately, our speech therapist, who's now 
gone on leave, but she would come out in the community with us every Wednesday morning. Oh. And then she came back on Friday mornings and we would run a coffee cart. So she did a whole, you know, same kinds of things, but we're out in the community mm-hmm. doing that natural language teaching. So important to have those yes. practices and those abilities to practice those skills with new environments and new people in the yeah. environment, right? Because I've always said, like, learning is not it's not true learning unless you can do it across environments and a lot of times our kids can do exactly what you're asking them to do in the classroom with the right cues Mm -hmm. in that same setting but when you get them out of the classroom in a different setting with a different person they don't know the skill so we've got to practice it all the time across different settings and that's the difference between being able to just follow directions in an environment and actually having a skill you can generalize absolutely that connects to something we talked about in an earlier episode where the future teachers I took information from my future teachers about what they learned in my summer class and kind of the big takeaways and one of the things they really anchored into was that in order to teach or learn anything you have to connected. It has to mean something. And so again, for these students too, it has to mean something. Yes. And we're not going to get it in one practice or two practices. No. It's going to take three or four years yes. sometimes yeah. for them to practice that skill. And I always warn the adults in my room, like this is very routine. Our, our year looks very routine. Mondays will always look pretty much the same. Tuesdays are going to look the same. So for adults, that can be hard. But for kids, it's super important that they anticipate what's coming and they know and they're, we're practicing that skill over and over and over again. You probably get some pushback, I imagine, from maybe some families or some other teachers. Or like, what do you do? It's, it's and Monday is always the same. Tuesday is always the same. Why? But yeah. it is that. It is The that. students need that structure and that mm-hmm. routine. And yet you then take those same skills you do in this structured routine space. And then you take them out into the community. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And when kids feel safe, too, then they can build that independence. And that's the other piece that yes. we're really working on. Like, I don't always want to cue you to start your work or to do this. So once you know, like, we're always going to do it and this follows this, then you can be more independent and moving from one activity to the next. Which is so great and so necessary. And I think that we forget, we assume those pieces just happen, right? For a lot of people, that just happens automatically in their lives. But for some of our students, that's the level of direct instruction they need. Absolutely. That's the service they need. Yeah. So interesting. So I know also, because I know you so well, that you (laughs) do an amazing job with future teachers. So our pre-service teachers who come and want to be a part of your classroom, what kinds of experiences do you make sure they get while they're with you? Well, the one thing I always tell them is the most important thing you can do as a teacher is build those relationships. And so I try to make sure that they have that opportunity to build really close relationships and sometimes kids are a little resistant to a new adult coming in and then it's just about you don't need to discipline that kid you don't need to you know do anything except for build that relationship so when we have a break ask them to play a game or this is what they like talk about that so I like to make sure that they have that you know that really true experience of how to build a relationship with a kid right Um, The other thing is that inclusion piece is kind of important. It's, um, you know, 
districts insist on it, parents insist on it, you know, so that inclusion piece is important to understand kind of how to facilitate that in a more meaningful way. It's harder in middle school and it's harder in high school because it's those classes are more academic. And so if you can figure out like what classes and what teachers can kind of help facilitate that too. So that's a good one. And then I like them to be able to go out in the community and see how we're making things kind of connect for our kids. Right. And I don't know that future teachers realize all of that kind of behind the scenes. When you pull back the curtain as the Wizard of Oz, all of the things you're doing behind the scenes to make that work. Yeah. It looks like you're just playing games with the kids and having fun. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So there really is, there's so much to teaching. I, I harp on this with my students as well. You know, just because we all sat in classrooms and have experienced education doesn't make us experts at teaching. True. Very true. Just like I go to the dentist twice a year and I sit in a chair and I know about flossing and brushing my teeth does not make me an expert on dental health. So I don't think we we have the same skills to switch roles, right? Not at all. So I really appreciate kind of digging down into the the intense level of knowledge and skill that you have as a teacher to be able to make it look so effortless. Yeah, (laughs) it takes a lot of time. (laughs) It does, it does. It truly does take a lot of time and effort and skill and knowledge to make that good teaching look so effortless. And Lynn is a classic example of somebody who does that beautifully. Join us next time for part two of my conversation with Lynn Mahaffey, and we will explore a little bit more about um, what makes good teaching work and the importance of that continual learning that we all go through. So I can't wait for you to enjoy the second half of this incredibly sunny and optimistic, positive interaction I had with Lynn. Until then, stay curious.